Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. Hello, my name is Greg Monteith, and I am speaking to you from the lovely town of Canmore, Alberta, just 15 minutes from Banff, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site and probably Canada's most well-known national park. I've been absent from podcasting for a little while due to the move and the time that's taken. Uh, We moved because my spouse has taken a fantastic job at Banff Center of the Arts. And part of what I want to talk to you about today is it's a little bit about a beer slogan. It's a little bit about a national park. And it's really about how Christianity is a full orb, or you might say a full package presentation about how human beings are able to be their best selves through being in relationship with God. So what's all this about a beer slogan? Well, as my spouse was preparing for her interviews, she received some help from some folks who uh, work for the government and help prepare individuals for job transition, new job acquisition, that sort of thing. My spouse mentioned where she would be working. She'd be working in Banff and the job. And the person who assisted her made the following comment, which I thought was very deeply insightful. That comment was that in Banff, there was a focus on excellence. And in the small town where we lived, there was a focus on mediocrity. Excellence versus mediocrity. So it was incredibly ironic to me that when we moved into this new accommodation here in Canmore, there was a poster up on the wall, and um, I don't normally quote beer slogans or advertisements, but I'm going to this time, obviously. It's by Stella Artois, and it reads, I would rather die of thirst than drink from the cup of mediocrity. Well, I don't know if I'd rather die of thirst. The point that I want to make here is that there is something very, very essential in terms of our lifestyle and how we orient ourselves that allows us to access or not a legitimate form of Christianity. There is something about our lifestyle or our lack of a lifestyle, depending upon our focus, that allows us to access a legitimate form of Christianity. So the notion I'm trying to get at here is that Christianity is itself very much about the pursuit of excellence. And so many of the conversations that John and I have had, and a number of the points that I've been promoting through my solo podcasts are about the fact that Christianity, and particularly as the focus through the integration project and how it examines and engages with Christianity, is it's really about road testing. It's about taking concepts, ideas, um, notions that seem embedded within Christianity, and comparing them with how the same idea or similar ideas play out in different areas of life. Part of the point here is that it is impossible, in my mind, and I would argue for this and will continue to argue for this through the podcast, to be seeking to be in right relationship with God and to be orienting ourselves towards mediocrity. Very simply put, the relationship that God seeks with us is a relationship where we are at our best. And we come to or become into our best selves in and through that relationship with God. Therefore, anything in any way that we are existing in the world as individuals, whether at our workplace, in our family life, our social life, our church life, whatever, where we are focusing and 
particularly focusing on or accepting mediocrity, this is not simply insufficient, if you like, or something that needs to be improved. Uh, it, that's true. It's, but it is literally also contradictory. So the idea that we can be continuing to move forward in what would be our best judgment or the best, our best assessment as a sort of mediocre or middle of the road approach to parenting, to our jobs, to our social life, et cetera, is literally, I'm going to make the argument, is literally not Christian. It literally will undermine one's ability to relate properly with God. And I think this notion is completely foreign, right? We look at, oh, you know, there's certain things you should do and there's certain things you shouldn't do. And this list, you know, John is very, uh, John loves to bring, bring out some of this or bring up some of this. Uh, and I think good for him that there's this kind of sin list. There's this, if you don't do these things, you're okay. But the idea is much larger. It's much vaster. It's much more integrated. You know, that word comes up a lot. And I think it's much more holistic as a result. It's something that it therefore can be catalytic, right? It can create better ways of being as we focus on in various different areas that appear completely divorced, let's say, from, from religion and Christianity. But as we focus on excellence in those areas, there is, I think, a complementarity that develops as we begin, if you like, to cycle forward to create good synergies that will allow us through excellence and the pursuit of excellence in one area to move forward in other areas. Now, of course, there are those hesitations or those, those, those caveats, let's say, where the pursuit of excellence becomes this all-consuming uh, drive, which makes us fairly you know, one-dimensional individuals or two-dimensional individuals. And, and this is not the point of the Christian faith. It is not the idea that we should become, uh, you know, the very best athlete or the very best business person or the very best parent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing wrong with pursuing excellence in these areas. You may be the very best athlete, but to do that to the exclusion of other aspects of one's life, that's where the problems arise, you know, and clearly perhaps for seasons of our lives, there is a sense in which that exclusivity Right, the exclusion of other areas or the minimization, let's say, maybe not exclusivity, but minimization can be tolerable, maybe necessary. But you know, that actually raises another point that I wanted to talk about. As I began to look at Banff versus that small community where I used to live, the, com the comparison of excellence versus mediocrity rang true and was profoundly reminiscent, as I've just mentioned, to how I would view the uh, necessity for Christians to be pursuing excellence in all areas of their life in order to be properly Christian. And on the flip side, of course, as I mentioned, the pursuit or the, the uh, acceptance, you know, it's often not a pursuit of mediocrity, but an acceptance of mediocrity will, I believe, literally undermine your ability to relate rightly with God, to love yourself and to love others. I live in a town, however, called Canmore. It's very close to Banff. It's about 15 minutes away. And what I noticed when I came to this town, and I was very, very particular about meeting people, about greeting people, about uh, just trying to connect with folks. Every single person I have met so far is happy to be here. Every single person to whom I've 
mentioned that I'm new here. I've just moved and, you know, I'm really liking this, has welcomed me here. And I think there's a parallel here as well. On the one hand, you've got in this town, people are happy to be here and eager to welcome others. There's a sense of inclusivity. And my sense is that op- it's an openness almost that comes from valuing your environment because you delight in the opportunities it offers. You value your environment because you delight in the opportunities that it offers. So this is a very mountain, sort of uh, outdoorsy area. People are very engaged in all forms of activities, and they're very eager to talk about them, to share their interests, to give you information. Um, I was lost one day, and I actually, for the first time in my life, I said to somebody, would you mind driving me home? I'm an adult. Would you mind driving me home because I had a meeting at work? No problem, said the guy. Drove me home. I thought, holy my gosh, this is incredible. But I want to make the same comparison with Banff and the town that I used to live in to Canmore and the town that I used to live in. Because in the town where I used to live, it seemed that people simply found themselves there. And they essentially had become content to think small and to have almost the smallness of being. And that brought about an exclusivity. So here, where people value their environment and they value and delight in the opportunities that it offers, there, there was this sense of small thinking, of small-mindedness, and of exclusivity, and almost this kind of club-like mentality. And my guess is, you know, it's hard to know, but my guess is it comes from people having limited goals, limited aspirations, because they have limited options. And there is a fear and almost a resentment that this breeds from people towards people who are outside of that kind of constricted approach to life. And so here's the comparison I want to make. I see the same thing in churches. Striking and powerfully, powerfully, on the one hand, compelling when it's a church where people want to be there, right? They value those opportunities. They value what's going on there and they're eager to share and they're eager to welcome you. And on the other hand, where there is this kind of small-mindedness, this closed sort of way of thinking, and this unwillingness to connect, let's say, with more of the community, but more so with kind of other areas of life. There is this kind of cliqueiness, this club-like, this, this exclusivity that we often find in churches that feels, they simply feel closed. So I want to take these two concepts, this excellence versus mediocrity, and this inclusivity versus exclusivity. I'm going to frame those or talk about those in terms of the mediation project and some of the things that I think will help us as individuals, um, potentially as Christians as well. But I think you're going to find, for those of you who aren't Christian and are listening to this, I'd be interested to know your feedback. Um, My guess is that what I'm going to say here applies across the board. It's not a Christian thing. It's a human thing. And this is going to be part also of the emphasis that I'm going to really try to drive home with the integration project, that the integration project is not a way first of being Christian, but is a way of being most human in and through a right relationship with God, a right relationship with yourself, a right relationship with others. And so a couple of the pieces I want to bring and put down here, the first one is look for dialogue. So that could be just openness to somebody talking about things they like. It could be openness to discussing ideas. It could be openness simply to listening. 
One of the things I found in churches where people are more content and where it seems as though they value their environment and they value the opportunities and the impact of those opportunities upon themselves, right? In a certain sense, they're valuing the selves they are becoming through being involved and integrated with this community. And my guess is that if you could get an honest conversation on a fairly deep level with folks who are in Christian communities that are fairly exclusive, my guess is that they would not have that same response, that they would not feel that they are becoming their best selves in this community. Now, you know, those things are often hard to admit. There's often where, where, where fear and or resentment is really uh, at the fore, where it's raining, let's say, in people's lives. Honesty is not um, an easy bedfellow, right? Honesty is not easy to couple with that type of environment and mentality. But seek dialogue. Number two is to beware of binaries. So this idea that there's only there are only two options, right? And anytime you're put, you're, you're, something is put out there as it's either this or it's that. My question is really is that is that really so? Can we think of other situations? And it's not to play devil's advocate. It's not to be antagonistic, but it is to recognize that binaries are are often a, a reductionistic view of the world. In other words. To see things as only A or B is often reducing the complexity that is around us. And what happens in the course of uh, kind of an orientation or through an orientation where we're uh, forced towards a reductionistic binary approach is you get polarity. And typically, this is the idea that you're either for us. or you, If you're not for us, you're against us. If you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. And I think this is an incredibly dangerous perspective to hold. Um, I think if you don't believe that Jesus uh, is the Son of God, you're not a Christian. But I don't think you can add too many things to that list and still make that statement. There aren't too many things that are required of someone to believe in order to be, let's say, a Christian, or by rights, a Hindu or a Buddhist. So that's number two. Beware of binaries. Because binaries will ultimately take us towards uh, polarized thinking. And polarized thinking is uh, extremely dangerous. It allows us to make uh, opponents and enemies out of folks who have perhaps tremendous, a tremendous number of things in common with us. And um, it allows us, sadly, to reduce the complexity of the world around us, often because we feel afraid of it. Right? We don't know how to deal with it. We've never been taught how to work with the um, the variety of perspectives or to be able to think our way through formulating relationships between more than two things, right? We can say, I like this one. I don't like that one. This one's better than that one. And therefore it's the one I'm going to go with. But once we start getting in, bringing in more components, it becomes tricky. The third thing is to examine concepts. And I think what we need here is we need something that I would refer to as a conceptual toolbox. So uh, in one of the seminar series that I uh, ran last year, uh, one of the integration uh, project seminar series, we looked at the book, The Shack, and particularly the, the movie that had come out and some of the responses to the movie. But we were really looking at the fact that the responses, and the, the, you're going to see here, the, the responses were very black and white. So this is going back to this binary notion, right? Um, 
examining concepts and having a conceptual toolbox is one of the ways in which we're able to overcome this problem of binaries. Uh, and in that particular case with the shack, we looked at two ideas. One is orthodoxy and the other is heresy. Um, I have some significant issues with the idea of, of heresy in Christianity. I think heresies have been laid out through the councils, um, beginning with Chalcedon or Nicaea. I'm not sure which, but way back in the, uh, fourth century and then following. But sometimes we, you know, you'll hear churches say things about heresy being taught. And, and, and my thought is, um, yeah, I'm not too sure about that. I thought that may be problematic, but it's not falling into any of the categories that have been established uh, through uh, the Christian tradition as heresy. And we want to be pretty careful using that word because it often becomes equated with things I don't like or things I don't understand. The point here of the conceptual toolbox in this particular case, was instead of having the binary orthodox heresy, we have a whole spectrum between orthodoxy and heresy, and in the middle we have this thing called heterodoxy. And so once we add in the notion of heterodoxy, we have a very different way of seeing ourselves. Because for most Christians, if you're not orthodox, then you're heretical. And if you're heretical, there's nothing worse. And so there's this tremendous fear. You're very fearful of admitting, well, I don't quite see it that way. Because you think that by not quite seeing it that way, you're, you're as wrong as you can be. So when we add in the notion of heterodox and we talk about heterodoxy, we can say, yeah, my view is heterodox relative to whatever this particular group's view of orthodoxy is. And of course, orthodoxy is a moving target. It's going to depend. It's going to vary based on what group you're talking to. The fourth uh, thing that I want to mention here, the fourth point, um, is to listen for prevalent questions. What are the questions that are typically being asked? And of course, one of the real danger points is nobody's asking any questions. And I don't mean just what are the questions that are being asked in a Bible study? What are the questions that are being asked of a church leader? I want to know what the question, what questions the church leader is asking. I want to know what questions the pastor's asking, the board's asking. I want to know what questions the denomination is asking. If you're not asking any questions, then theoretically you have all the answers. That's a pretty dangerous place to be. And then the questions, of course, are going to lead you into probably what most, what the kind of the, the dominant um, orientations are for that particular group. So some of my questions are, how do we promote better ways of seeing ourselves, better ways of interpreting ourselves, the Bible, the world? How do we engage with people who are outside of a Christian perspective in a way that allows us both to be able to have a voice and to be able to learn? So listening and speaking, and also to be able to retain the ability to speak back critically, to be really engaging and to still be critical. Because often in our culture, in a North American culture, those things are, are, are perceived as being um, mutually exclusive, which I would say very much they are not. The fifth and final thing that I'd mention um, is to identify and consider the core values. So one of the things that you're going to notice about these tips, or if you like, these kind of ways of helping to orient ourselves that will promote excellence 
over mediocrity, that will promote inclusivity over exclusivity, is that they're very themselves integrated. They're very interrelated such that they kind of build upon each other and they mutually reinforce each other. Before I end, I want to talk just a little bit about this idea that excellence should be a hallmark of, if you like, on the one hand, rich humanity, and on the other hand, right Christianity. It should be a hallmark of rich humanity and right Christianity. And I think the fear here is that all of a sudden we're talking about, oh my gosh, I have to do everything. I have to do everything, not just well, but excellently. And again, one of the points I mentioned earlier is that I think what happens as we begin to seek and to promote excellence in various realms of our lives is that this becomes synergistic, that the gains we make in one area move us much further ahead and prepare us much better in other areas. Sometimes those may seem related areas, but I, I think this continues to work um, in situations where the areas seem rather unrelated. So specifically, when I go to the gym, uh, there's a big gap, if you will, between uh, physical uh, fitness and exercise and Christian faith, seemingly. And yet I think those same principles apply. So I'm quite aware that I may gain slowly, but perceptibly. And I think this this comes into play when I think about Christians becoming more Christ-like, this idea of sanctification. And some things I've heard are, you know, this, this will take years and you won't notice any change. And I think, well, if I went to the gym for two years and I didn't notice any change, I'd stop. And John, of course, has raised this in his comments about the relationship or maybe the lack of relationship between coaching and Christianity, that there are noticeable and important results that can come through coaching. And yet for John, at times, or maybe most times, doesn't see this with Christianity. And I think that's a problem, right? So I think that the pursuit of excellence in one area will prepare us to pursue excellence and set our expectations properly for that pursuit in other areas. The other point to mention is this idea maybe of conditioning ourselves. It's, it's a related idea. And that one sense, it's too hard. In the other sense, we might say like it's too hard to pursue excellence in all realms. In the other uh, sense, we might say it, it takes too much of my attention. I have to condition myself or be on guard or be on high alert or something. And I think it's important to note that we are always already conditioning ourselves to act in certain ways. When we make choices that seem uh, reflexive and that have no, that they're easy choices to make, it's often because we've been making these choices over a long period of time. So it's like taking a certain route to work. It's like uh, going through certain routine tasks. Their routine or the route is known because it's been traveled or the things have been done many, many times before. And this may be then a question of identifying, bringing to consciousness, what are those routines? What are those routes that we've been taking? And to become quite deliberate about changing the routine, about tweaking the route so that it becomes something that is going to facilitate excellence rather than is going to facilitate ease, right? And I think that leads into the last point, which is this idea that excellence is going to be overwhelmingly fatiguing. And I would say that excellence is actually something, and inclusivity is actually something that is remarkably energizing. 
And it's, it's really about trying to hit that sweet spot, you know, as it is with exercise, where you go, you give energy to exercise in order to be able to physically perform the exercises. And yet the act of exercising returns energy to you. And I think it's very similar to that. And I think the overall notion that I want to hit on here is this ocean notion of ownership. And we've talked about this, John and I, through several podcasts, but I think this is a key element that needs to be really embraced as we think about what it means to be a human living in the world, to be a Christian living in the world, that ownership is critical. The last thing I want to mention is um, is the Bible. And I think very frequently when people hear something that's quote-unquote Christian or that's proposed as being Christian, they want to hear some sort of a scriptural verse to back it up that somehow relates directly to it. And I think the issue here, once again, you know, to come back to the namesake of the project that I'm working on, is a lack of integration in terms of understanding what the greater scope of the biblical text is focusing on. People being human as they are meant to be through being in right relationship with God, with themselves, and with others. And I think what emphasis is there on the biblical text? If you're a Christian listening to this and thinking about how applicable is this from a biblical perspective, if you're interested in being fully human through being in right relationship with God, with yourself and with others, it's 100% applicable. We don't need a verse to tell us to brush our teeth. We can learn about that because we see what happens to people who don't. In the same way, we don't need verses that tell us to think about such things as dialogue. We see examples of this. We see God dialoguing with individuals, even though God in some senses doesn't need to. God could dictate, but God interacts. We see this whole notion that matters are complex, that they avoid binaries. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.